Welcome to Foreman the Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And today, finally, it's Ooh. football season. Oh. Well, you I wanted to talk about fall food. What am I going to say? <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's almost fall. Um, yeah, football season. I know how excited you get about that, Tony. I do. And a whole do. lot of other people. But but it's, it's all the things that go with it, you know. It's all the things that say autumn is coming. It's the, the night being a little bit cooler. Mm-hmm. After just after a so few great. moments of kind of like, mm, you know what, this has been a little bit hotter today than I wanted it, to, but you still have the sun, and it's still nice, and it's still warm, mm-hmm. but then it cools off. It's cool in the morning, and that's, that's nice. nice. That's good. I like that. So, and then and then I have corduroys in my future. <laughs> and I know, I know how I'm much you corduroys. like that. Yeah. Are they going to be red, purple? No. Mauve? Well, the purple is always possible. Let me s- use the word plum, in Baltim- Tony. In Baltimore, purple uh-huh. is purple. much more possible. Yep. Yep. I want you to know, Tony, that I watched a football game on Sunday. You I feeling did. okay? I. It was fun. It was fun. You know, you know what I love about fall is the transition. I'm, I bet you're going to tell I'm me. I'm going to tell you the transition from summer to fall and how we change the way we cook as well as the products. Well, and it, it, it's that moment of oh, most it's so exciting. Harvest, it's just like right? change. Oh, definitely. Yeah, because, well, and the the whole beautiful aspect of having, you know, the tomatoes, we may still have some, but they're going to, you know, we know we're going to lose them very, very soon, even though it's nice and warm. But um, going we still from have all these... spectacular peppers and zucchini oh, and... I love squash. So summer squash. And then we're heading into winter squash. These are the best peppers in a decade. Oh, Everything's been so good this year, and it's just, it's so exciting and such a joy to work with all the product. Um, and it's like, it's like the bounty. I mean, it's like so bountiful, so everything's so fantastic, but it, it it's really nice to have just this fantastic growing season. And, and you know, you're going from, <clears throat> you know, you can certainly still grill out, but, you know, maybe less of being concerned about heating up your stove and your kitchen because, you know, it's hot outside and you don't want your house to get hot. You know, now you want your your stove to heat up your kitchen as it starts to get you cool can, at you night. You can grill out, but you can have soup too. Yeah, yeah, and and use that stove and turn on that fireplace, you know, light a fire in the fireplace or whatever you have going in your home. But, you know, it's, it's such a cozy time of the year and I just really look forward to it and I'm super excited about it. And, and some of, you know, the mushrooms that are going to become available... That's going to be so exciting if we have porcinis. No, we just got nice chanterelles. Oh, yeah. We've been getting nice chanterelles for about a month, actually. And I love the buttons. The buttons are the little, little, t- t- you know, compact, little tiny mushrooms um, about yeah. the size of your thumb. And, and jewels. Oh, I love them. I, I, I mean, I like a big chanterelle, too, but I really like the little guys. I, I make a tart with um It's a sable tart dough, and this, this actually, the idea for this came from one of my favorite... Sh- our favorite chefs in France, and um, it has a little bit, of, a lot of um, egg and and butter and Reggiano in the tart dough. Sable means sand, and and then that whole dish has a ton of chanterelles. And the little guys that are so, you know, the the caps are tight, compact, um, works so well for that dish. And they're just like it's almost like you're eating fruit. It's just amazing. I, I love, and if you know, if we see uh, porcinis, that would be great. Um, but whatever local mushrooms um, that you can forage for that are edible, that'll be exciting to find. And I made a dish with chanterelles yesterday. 
mm-hmm. that I really liked and I was proud of. Okay, what was it? I made a carbonara, you know, traditional spaghetti carbonara. Yeah. In, in making the, the sauce for it, mm-hmm. you know, rendering off the guanciale, um, letting the garlic sweat a little bit as it cooled off, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit of cream in there. I'd roasted off some chanterelles separately. It just for some reason occurred to me that just the aroma, as much as I love, I mean, it's it was brunchy carbonara. Carbonara is a brunchy <laughs> pasta. It is the brunchiest of pastas. Brunchy. It's basically bacon and egg pasta, right? Right, so, exactly. Um, and cheese. Yeah, So, but let that cream begin to reduce with the guanciale. Add the roasted chanterelles to that cream. And the perfume and the color that goes into that, mm-hmm. unbelievable. Reduce it way down when you... Add the pasta, add the eggs that you've that you've mixed. You know, yeah, lots of fresh chive and and ah, yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds good. That was. Good. I mean, I love carbonara, but the aroma, the aroma together of the guanciale and the garlic and the chanterelles. Great yeah, stuff. That's really weird. So What's last weird? last night, I made <laughs> pasta like carbonara. That's just bizarre. I did not have, certainly did not have chanterelles to work with, but I made it for um, my family. And we did, I just did cream and button mushrooms because that's what the grocery had. And um, regular bacon, not not any special pork product, but just regular bacon. I browned off the bacon, um, used a little bit of that fat to saute the mushrooms and a little bit of shallot. Added the cream. Again, like you said, reduced it down, finished it. My niece had some Reggiano in the refrigerator and... Uh, I added an egg yolk right at the end and added the bacon back into it, um, and um, yeah, and that was it was delicious. And we we used rigatoni that she had in her cupboard. <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> so that's the homemade version, not the restaurant version. So it was fun though, and we ate way too much of it, and it was really rich and it's, delicious. Yeah, it is a it's and a, a lot rich of pepper. Thing. A lot of pe- we put a lot of black pepper in. Well, this this it was for a brunch, so we right. You know, there was we had to do a brunchy pasta. Sure. Well. That's cool. One of the other things I think about right now too is um, oysters because we're, you know, we're going to get into some really great oyster time, and, and and I know how much you know we all enjoy raw oysters. I mean, it's obviously a beautiful, beautiful way to really get to enjoy the them, and to get to taste different types of oysters and see the difference in the salt level, and you know just what the impact is of of the waterways and um, how the the different oysters taste differently, but I also like to cook them. And I was thinking about doing a uh, just sort of a traditional French thing with, again, a little bit of shallot sautéed in butter and and um, add a little bit of the uh, oyster liquor and reduce it down a touch and add cream and and salt and pepper and, and add the oysters right at the very end and serve it in a little puff pastry shell. And I think that's such a fun little appetizer if you are having a dinner party or you can make it, you know, dinner uh, easily. But uh, just a little little puff pastry shell loves the cream and all the flavor and you really get to enjoy the taste of the oyster because there's really nothing competing with it in that dish. So that's kind of fun. It's funny. I think about oysters, first thing I start thinking of it seems like are, are carbohydrates. So, <laughs> I t- so I was thinking of risotto that we have made before with prosecco and the risotto, and the oysters are you know cooked very gently at the end of mm-hmm. of the risotto. It's a pretty marvelous way to show it off. You kind of get you, you get the aroma of the oyster, but you also have perfume of the wine and and uh, 
of the arborea rice as well. That sounds pretty. What What do you think is coming up um, soon in market? I mean, peppers keep going. I'm going to buy all of these marvelous sweet peppers that we can as long as as long as we can. I mean, they're spicy ones too. What kinds? You know, uh, mole is uh, poblanos are mildly, you know, really mildly spicy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, their habaneros are mar- they're they're, they're spotless. Mm-hmm. They're really they're they're, they're spectacular. Beautiful. Yeah, good. But the the Italian bellhorn peppers that are so great to do for uh, mm. uh, stuffed pepper variations. Yum! It's one of the other things we made. Ooh, all right, tell yesterday. us tell tell us about it. So the the stuffing was uh, ricotta, uh, an egg, um, some breadcrumb from focaccia that was just dried out in the oven. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of fresh herbs, garlic chives, parsley, a little oregano, some basil, and a little bit of sweated shallot and uh, sweated garlic, and then all, you know, mixed. The peppers, those bellhorn peppers are so firm that you had to actually soften them a little bit first. So they went they went into the oven for maybe three minutes hmm. to just begin to make them kind of wilt a little bit. Did you rub so them with oil and salt rub, and pepper? Rub with oil and salt. Okay. Uh, and then get, just to get them to wilt a tiny little bit and then stuff them with, uh, mm-hmm. with that, I don't know, for, it's hard to, weird to say force meat, but yeah, you know what I mean. right, right. Uh, and then, uh, and then roasted them. It actually was James' idea to, because we were trying to figure out what to put them on. He took some of these muffin, uh, like silpat mm-hmm. holders, so they would be, up, you know, facing right. up. Good. So that we'd lose no stuffing in the in the roasting yep. of them. Cool. We did bell horns. We did little tiny yummies. They're like sweet orange peppers. The little guys, all stuffed the same way, and just served them with a simple tomato basil sauce. When they came out, holy smokes! That sounds good. They're, they're just the flavor of those peppers is just spectacular. You were talking about ricotta, and I was thinking about um, just how great, it, you know, making your own ricotta and having some just sort of gently sautéed pears with that and some local honey, how good that would be for breakfast or just a little afternoon snack or something. I just think it would be fun, you know, to to just, again, just sort of highlight the ricotta and the pears and not fool around and make that's it too a, complicated. That, that's, a ni- that's a nice bruschetta, you know, that mm-hmm. where you just grill the grill the bread, brush with olive oil, and uh, and then you can kind of top with whatever, but mm-hmm. fresh ricotta and, and pears. Well, and I, I know you like bruschetta, and I was I have a couple of ideas here for different bruschettas, and was thinking about um, uh, carrots and walnuts because you know well, and especially here we're going to get people are going to have chestnuts that they can work with because I mean almost everywhere I've lived I'd ha- I've had chestnut trees here in Baltimore, which is so amazing. Or you can you know go pick them up yourself from, I mean they're everywhere. I well, mean, how about the chestnuts as a as a as a paste with a little bit of uh, like crispy little pieces of guanciale? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I was even thinking like a little carrot puree, you know, just Mm -hmm. a little sort of fun, you know, just sort of, again, maybe a little bit of curry in there, like madras curry, which would be pretty, or or cinnamon if you don't care for curry for some Mm. reason. Carrots love curry, though. They do, and, you know, a little bit of, again, I would put a little honey in, maybe a touch of brown sugar, but, you know, you're not making it sweet. Um, Salt, pepper, maybe even a little cayenne, and, and just have this wonderful, like, puree and have a little bit of uh, chestnut meat on there. Oh, I love them so much. They're so amazing. It's so exciting that you can, you know, just go pick them up and roast them and deal with them. They, You have to know what you're doing a little bit, but... Yeah, somewhere here in the next probably three weeks, we'll start seeing a few chestnuts at market Okay. with some of the farmers. So I'll grab you some. All right, cool. Sounds good. The bruschetta we made yesterday, it's funny. The same food in two different mm-hmm. places or same ideas, two different places. Yep. 
a bruschetta from yesterday. I got these tiny little baby shallots, mm-hmm. and we roasted them in the jackets. Mm-hmm. Squeeze them out, <laughs> and basically, <laughs> and basically rub them, season them, and rub them oh, like yeah. a paste on the, on the on the bruschetta on the bread. Okay, right, and had grilled Honeycrisp apple, mm-hmm. a slice of that. Oh, they're so good this year. On top of that, okay, a little bit of crunchy salt. Right, a little bit of so little shallot, crunch, crunchy honey crisp sea salt. apple, cr- crunchy salt, a little bit salt. crunchy salt, uh-huh. and a drop of fifty-year balsamico. All right then, okay. I think I, that, that sounds was, good. What kind of bread did you use? The uh, day-old baguette. Baguette, okay. Yeah, simple. Uh, then the other bruschetta I had in my mind, if you can get porcini's, is ugh, because again, they're so incredible and rich and gorgeous. If you if you slice them thin, they're going to go a long way, um, and uh, rub them with a good olive oil, salt, and pepper, and they make perfect grill marks. So grill them on both sides to cook them through, and then they're just going to be gorgeous on a piece of long bruschetta, you know, like a long baguette or whatever kind of bread you have that you like. I would use something relatively n- neutral and rustic, and um, and then uh, just a little bit of uh, uh, gently sautéed garlic and leeks underneath, you know, so that's first kind of, as you were just saying with the shallot, just you know, you've cooked it so long that it you becomes almost like a paste. You kind of smear it. it. Yeah. Okay, there we go. And the, so the garlic and shallot on there you know, don't overdo the garlic because you can, you know, everything has to be in balance with cooking. And then um, to be a little bit of fresh thyme or fresh rosemary on top of there, just like a little rub it and, you know, kind of rub it in your hand and and uh, let it uh, fall onto the bruschetta. That would be fun. Oh, I could eat that Now right you make now. me think about porcini. Is, mm. What about an apple and endive salad with uh, warm porcini vinaigrette? That sounds good. Apple and endives. Yes. That's apple. Yeah, have have not done that, so but now, I think I, now I need to do that. So if you would chop the porcinis, saute w- them, chop them, uh, what? Maybe a little bit of herbs. Make something like a little bit of a duxelle, mm-hmm. and then just save half to to grill to garnish the salad. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. And and just red wine vinegar. Yes. You know, it doesn't need to be something that comes off sweet. And I can't wait. But to the, t- the sweet and the bitter of the apple and the endive. It's always fun. And maybe put a, a little bit of Dijon mustard in that vinaigrette. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about cider. Well, how about we take a short break? You drink about four glasses of cider. <laughs> and we'll come right back on Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine on WYPR. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're talking about autumn cooking. We talked for a minute about football, just to make me happy. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, well, both kinds of football make me happy. The, mm-hmm. the global stuff as well as the local sure, stuff. Sure, sure. Um, but autumn food makes me really happy. And me we were too. talking about, in the last segment, we're, you were talking for a second about chestnuts. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of having a, a chestnut-filled pasta one time. Uh, with a, a, a sauce that was a cream sauce with with like a really strong goat cheese in it that was great. Mm. Um, chestnuts people can find around here. They sure can. 
And and but how do you deal with? I mean, there, you have to have some good gloves, heavy duty gloves, because they're all prickly on the outside. It's just a whole bunch of thorns on the outside. But what happens naturally is they pop open. But you still have to get the beautiful brown chestnut out of the center of that prickly thing. Um, but they're they're well protected um, from from uh, the squirrels and everything because. You know, until they pop open, nobody's getting at those things, I don't think. Anyway, so um, once they fall from the tree, and, and the, the taller the tree, the further they fall, <laughs> the more likely it is they pop open. And um, so gather them. I have had times where I've gathered them. When I when I had my farm, I had uh, my entire entrance to my farm was lined with chestnut trees, which was, I mean, what a gift that was. And um, and um, I one year I had a lot of, you know, little worms in there. So that was a big disappointment because it was a lot of gathering and work to get them no out. No one wants wormy chestnuts. No, they're gross. That's pretty horrifying to me. But um, otherwise, I've done really well and with them. And um, you just pull the uh, chestnut out, and then there actually is a chestnut knife, and it's got a little. It looks like a little beak, and you can buy them in cooking stores and um, or online for sure. And you just um, mark the end of the chestnut with a le- with an X. And what that does is when you go to roast them and you just put them, you know, uh, one layer thick on a you, sheet you pan. You remove them from all the spikes, right? Yeah, the, you th- discard the spiky thing. And so then, then you have the, like, <laughs> there's an interior, you know, sort of like a, like garment bag, right? Mm. And then inside that is the flesh of the chestnut. Yeah, it's, a br- yeah, it's the brown. It's what you expect a chestnut to yeah. look like is what's inside. It's the 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 thing on the outside that you, you, you wouldn't well, expect if you'd never seen a, yeah. a chestnut off a tree. So the, so the two layers is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes they even fall out of that prickly thing when they fall onto the ground. So you can just gather the chestnuts, but so it just depends. It also probably depends on how ripe they are when they fall. But anyway, so then you can, after you've, uh, you know, marked them a little bit, scored them on the end, um, I like to rub them with a little bit of a neutral oil. You don't have to. You can do it without oil, um, but I would use corn oil, corn oil or canola oil, and just rub them lightly. And um, 350 degree oven. It depends on the chestnuts. It depends on how ripe they are, how fresh they are. If you did just get them off the tree, um, I would say about 20 minutes. You don't want to cook them too long because you'll actually brown them too much or cook them, make them too hard. Um, but when if, you, if you brown them a lot, you change their flavor a yeah, lot. Yeah, and th- when they're fresh, they're tender. When they're hard, when they're older, they're hard. They're they can become like rocks. Quite frankly, I've I've had a purveyor try and send those to me when they were that old. And I'm like, I don't, you can't work with that. So um, I'm sure th- you were very charming to that purveyor. I was, and then you remove the outer shell. Um, and which is some work. I mean, everything about this is is work, but it's so worth it. And they're inherently sweet, um, and they're very starchy. And I don't know if that's the right term, but as a chef, I think of them as being yeah, very I, I agree starchy. With that. I mean, one of the traditional like German accompaniment for venison is always like chestnut puree, mm-hmm. and you see that in the east of France as well. And and there isn't a starch on the plate. No, because the chestnut service it that. acts as it. Right. There's usually okay. some condiment or some sauce, and then yeah, you don't think of nuts as being. You know, starchy. Well, th- but think these about how, like, are. Well, think about how cashews are in your mouth. I mean, it's the yeah, same kind of a yeah. sensation. So once you've roasted them, let them cool down a little bit, um, then you can pop them out of the shell, and then you can begin to work with them. And to do that kind of puree that you're talking about, I would probably do a little bit of very, very gently cooked um, onion shallot. If you like the flavor of garlic, maybe a tiny bit. Of, I wouldn't put garlic in, but you certainly could if you if you enjoy that. But I would I would cook all of that. I mean, I, I think again we're coming back to this 
paste that we keep talking about with this onion product, which is probably a little unusual for people to think about. Um, but cook it gently, a, a small dice, let it kind of just, you know, mush, as you said, and, and caramelize a tiny bit and butter. I did not say mush. Yes, you did. Oh, you said schmear. Yeah. And then, um, and then <laughs> Come add, on now. add the chestnuts and let them cook with either a little bit of stock and cream or cream. Uh, or you could use milk or half and half, but I, I would use cream. And, um, and you're talking about a small quantity of dairy. Yeah. And you're just kind of... You know, working them until they become tender, uh, and uh, the and you can salt and pepper them. You could add a tiny bit of sugar if you so chose, but I, I wouldn't. You could add cognac or brandy, um, or you, I'm sure you can come salt. up with some sort of a little salt and pepper, and and then let them uh, just become tender, and then you can either. You know, puree them in a blender uh, with a little bit of milk if they're too thick, or um, or stock, or water, uh, and because then you're going to have the pure flavor of the chestnut if you don't add the stock, and um, and then you can serve that as a, a chestnut puree, like you said, with you know roast beef or roasted pork, which would be incredible. Um, you could serve it with duck, uh, anything. Honestly, it's going to probably go with pretty much any meat. I probably wouldn't serve it with lamb. Um, no, it doesn't feel like, like the, the right kind of thing lamb. for lamb. Yeah, lamb, pork, or goat, lamb or goat, no. Yeah, pork pork for sure. Pigeon. Definitely game birds. Yeah. All game birds. And I wanted to talk about pheasant before we're done um, because I think pheasant is a fascinating... You know, we, we should talk a little bit about game birds because this is the time of the year where people hunt and things become more... They hunt. want all those chestnuts and mushrooms that, that oh are out gosh. there. Yeah, but magre and chestnuts, pheasant and, che- pheasant and chestnuts is so beautiful and so traditionally done in France. And then um, uh, if you want to make soup, just add more product. I would not add anything other than chestnuts and cream and stock and salt and pepper. And then that's when you're going to find out how starchy they are. Because when you go to put those in the blender, it's going to seize up on you if you don't have enough dairy product. You do need a lot of dairy product when you, when you I don't know what the ratio stock is. Stock as well? Um, well, the, what, the good thing about the stock is that it keeps it all from being way too rich and thick. So, you know, I would say probably 75% cream to 25% stock. And... Um, you know, I, I've never measured it, but I would guess maybe maybe an eighth of a cup of chestnuts to a cup of dairy product or a cup of liquid total. Chestnut soup is the first thing I've heard this year that I was like, oh, Thanksgiving will get here. Oh, I know. And the other thing with that is you could do a Madeira or a Sherry in there too rather than cognac or brandy, which would be so gorgeous, especially I, if you're would- doing a soup. I would I would use a drier Madeira like a Cercial. Oh yeah, it would be so pretty. It's just it's like adding per, you know in a good way. It's like adding perfume to the chestnuts. Well, Madeira especially. It's oh, about as aromatic so as you So pretty. Gonna... Well, and Madeira loves mushrooms too. So if you wanted to make a uh, soup with mushrooms, then you've already got the Madeira in the house. You're ready to go with your mushroom soup too. I mean, I can do a lot with Madeira. That sounds like an item from Besides from Martha from Martha Washington's cookbook. Probably is. Book of receipts, right? I have that cookbook. I've had it for many, many, yeah. many years. I love that cookbook. And you can buy that cookbook, Martha Washington's Cookery. It's incredible. I mean, there's a lot of history in there. It's And, you know, those old cookbooks teach you how to make soap. I mean, you know, it teaches you about your we're household. Not, we are not going to talk about making soap no, on we're not. Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd have to change the name to Formula Wolf on Food, Wine, and Soap. soap. <laughs> Which doesn't go together. No. In any way. No. But anyway, yeah, so chestnuts. I'm, I'm so excited. I mean, it's just, ooh, it's such a vibrant time of year. I mean, I know people love summer, but I'm, uh, of well, course, I am a cold weather person, but I just love, I mean, if nothing else, it's just so exciting when the seasons change and you have this, this new 
new time to look forward to. Well, and you, it, like you said, the world that, it, goes through a change. It's the convolution it, at that moment of change. You have all this. I mean, that for me, for the the guy who's always at the markets and mm-hmm. with the farmers, it's like I can have my last heirloom tomatoes. I can have the first spaghetti squash. <laughs> you know, I can literally still make tomato sauce with the romas and roast those spaghetti squash with garlic and serve them with that tomato sauce, which is, yep. you know, like the, there there is like a two-week period where you can do that you in, get in a good year. the best of all worlds. Yeah. Well, that yeah, because one of the things I had written down was a roasted tomato, a uh, roasted autumn tomato bisque. Because I'm like, we're going to have it. I know we're going to have them to use. And and they're not going to be nice for salad because they're not going to be that quality. But they're still really good. And maybe they're overripe. And all the flavor you're going to get from that. Well, and you can make a beautiful soup what, with them. What happens Tomatoes. is their acidity is a little bit higher than they would normally be mm-hmm. beca- because of the cooler nights. I mean, that's from this moment on. You know, once once you're in the middle of September... Even with Indian summer, if we, if you get that, let's say, first week of October or something, you're still going to have the cooler nights. You may bounce up to 95, but you're still going to be below 70 at night. It's the warm nights that, that makes those heirlooms that are really sweet, mm-hmm. the German stripers and the Cherokees and, and the brandy wines especially, really voluptuous and sweet in the, in, in the midsummer. Mm-hmm. You know, that when that happens that first week or two of August. But it, they, but they're definitely different now. When I when I make toba- tomato biscuits, really quite simple. It's just onions and shallots sautéed in butter until it's nice and tender, and then I add the tomatoes, all their juice, all their skin. You know, they're washed, of course, and I chop them a little bit, but just let it cook down, let it cook down, and then you can decide. You know, do you want it? I like to add saffron. That may be unusual. Um, you could add basil, you know, to the pot once you add the cream, if you're going to add cream to it. Or you could go the olive oil route and add a little stock and not have any, you know, don't call it a bisque, just a tomato soup and do something um, more wine, a little bit of red wine, a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of stock or water and herbs. I mean, there's so many different ways to make a pureed tomato soup that can be really beautiful. And if you want to go the route of the cream, you know, don't get don't go too far because, you know, it's really the cream, the tomato, the onions, the shallot, and maybe basil or some sort of herb. You know, I like to slide into that uh, that that vegetable beginning of that is fennel. Yeah. A, a little fennel with the onion, probably like equal portions. It just changes the aromatics a And I think bit. people are scared of fennel. In my experience as a chef, if I put dishes on with fennel, they don't always sell. And and that's also I've been cooking. You know, we've both been doing this a long I mean, time now. it's a now. terrifying People's vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> but people's change, people's thought process has changed so much since I started cooking, you know, 35 years ago, uh, how they feel about vegetables. And so it is, I mean, it's viable for you to suggest, yeah, put some fennel in there because I think people will do it now. Whereas if you even said that 10 years ago, people would be like, oh, yeah, I'm not putting well, fennel it, it on my used tomato to be, soup. I would tell you if you wanted things not to sell. Like in order to try to to make the the menu mix work on a restaurant menu, <laughs> to slow down the sales of something that's like overtaxing a cook, will change the garnish to having eggplant, right? Oh, definitely. Some, <laughs> like ah, oh. yeah, or beans. Egg, it used exactly. to be beans. Eggplant, beans, uh, the kale, the kale that everyone wants to eat. Uh huh. They used to yeah. hate. Yeah, they used to hate. They just, I mean, oh, just if you it, um, ten years ago you put kale on something. That wouldn't never have twenty left years the ago. They burn your restaurant down. <laughs> I have to say that about pretty much any green 
like greens, you know. That, that, that wasn't cream spinach? <laughs> exactly. You know? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, we've come, I mean, we've come a get, long way in this country. Tw- about like 20 years ago, I'd show up with all this vegetables. stuff from the market, and you're like, ah. Yeah, we're going to have a hard time selling that. <laughs> <laughs> I work with it because I'm excited, yeah. but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. We've seen things change a lot over the years. That's good, though. That's really positive. You know, I think also one of the other, um, you know, things about we. I said I was excited to talk about cider. Um, well, first of all, I want to ask you, what is hard cider? Because I don't really understand that. What's the difference between cider and hard cider? Cider is for everyone. Hard cider is for grown-ups. <laughs> that's what we say in my house. Okay. How does it get alcohol in it? Uh, fermentation. Okay. Just like, I mean, that, there's, the na- there's natural sugar. Mm-hmm. Some of the sugar is converted to alcohol. That's all. Okay. Uh, I mean that the like the very the very serious ciders that either made in the states or made in France or in, in anywhere that apples grow that are made from very different apples than what's on your table. Okay. Okay. But that that's a, a big interest right now, and people, the alcohol is not that strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? They are very refreshing. It varies. Similar to beer. Okay. All right. Well, you that's know, good. Then you. Yeah, can can, can can run from like four to like nine percent. Mm-hmm. I've not I've not seen it past that, but I'm sure that it's possible. Um, that just means less sugar, so it's less sweet, and mm-hmm. has more punch to it. But sweet is some of the point, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's very interesting that you you see that. I mean, Normandy is the most famous place in the world for making hard cider, and they they actually even age some of them a little bit, and and they become more interesting with a little bit of time. So what I like is, you know, is cider, obviously, without the alcohol in it, and um, it's one of my favorite sauces that I make in the fall. I reduce reduce a gallon of cider down with two cinnamon sticks, four pieces of star anise. I usually do the, the juice of, you know, maybe three or four oranges just to give it a little bit of that pretty citrus, and call it a day right there. I mean, you can add other things if you want, but those are the things that I like to add and reduce it down pretty far. And then I will add that to chicken and veal stock reduction. So it's actually perfuming the stock reduction sauce and serve that with pork. Oh my gosh. I mean, and then you can do whatever you want. You well, can do you have like the acidity a, that keeps it oh, nice and fresh. Oh, it's so good. You know, and you could serve, you know, a winter squash gratin with that and it would be really good with the squash as well. If you didn't get too complicated with a gratin, um, and or you could do sweet potato, uh, sweet potatoes, which is another thing that's great this time of the year. Yeah, they're just I just saw the first white sweet potatoes. Yeah, that's super exciting. Little guys, those so are, those yeah, are so really maybe good. some mashed sweet potatoes with that cider reduction and pork, or you could dice the sweet potatoes and toss them with a little. Um, a little bit of the cider and maybe butter and brown sugar, or you could just do a little cream. I have to tell you, my favorite apple cider anything is apple cider ice cream. I make apple cider ice cream. I know. It's really good. That's funny. I forgot yeah. I make that. First, first person that <laughs> I haven't made that in first, a while. <laughs> first person that I ever had it from was Osmin Guillen. Oh, Osmin. And, uh, mm. and he, when he, when he reduced his cider. For for the ice cream because he would ribbon it in. Mm-hmm. Oh know. yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. would ribbon it in. He would reduce it and then and finish reducing it with a little brown sugar. Yeah, so you'd get, yeah, you'd get streaks of it in your ice yeah, cream rather exactly. than yeah, yeah. So it's basically like a, a cider caramel mm. in the in the ice cream. That's really heavily was, reduced. Yeah, you bring it down far when you do that. That's yeah, that's good. Really good. So we'll take another quick break and let Cindy have a little more cider, <laughs> and uh, we'll come back. We'll talk a little more about autumn food 
maybe a few autumn wines, and get into a chef's challenge. All of that and more on Formidable Fun Food and Wine. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're talking autumn food. Mm-hmm. And Cindy, have you had an upsider yet? No, because I want <laughs> I was thinking about for the menu. Oh, bad news. Oh, what? The the orchard that we work with the most, they're not making pear cider this year. Don't say that. Yeah. Apple cider. Pear cider. They're not making it? They're making apple cider, but they're not making their pear cider. Okay. Well, all right. My five-year-old's favorite substance in the entire world uh, mm-hmm. is that fresh pear cider. Okay. Well, um, on another note, so I was thinking that we could braise a pork shoulder and feed a lot of people inexpensively. And and I think it would be so good to add cider to that. Braising cider in stock. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so I was thinking, you know, using the cider, you know, you brown the pieces. One of the things about doing a pork butt is you don't have to brown it actually that much or pork shoulder and um, cut it into kind of good sized pieces, you know, like two by four or whatever and season it a little bit. Um, I think it would be nice to do a little bit of cayenne, black pepper, salt on the outside of the meat and just sort of brown it a, a little bit, a little bit of cumin and um, brown it a little bit and then add, you know, deglaze, deglaze with the cider, add chicken and veal stock or if you have pork stock, add that to cover by probably by about two inches. Meanwhile, saute a little bit of diced onion, garlic, and apples. I think it would just be really nice to add some apple to it as well, fresh apple. And I would use the Honeycrisp because they're so good. And then and just add that. But I think the cumin is extremely important. And again, yeah. you have to be careful with cumin because a, a lot goes too far, way too far real fast. You can quickly add too much cumin. Um, so using cumin with that makes me want to use mustard seed too. Sure. Sure, that sounds not, good. Not mustard, mustard seed. Mm-hmm. Just crushed up like in a, in a mortar and pestle with the cumin. Okay. Yeah, and let it braise. And then, you know, when the meat's nice and tender, and if you feel like that reduction or if that braising liquid needs to be reduced down some more, just pull out the meat, drain it, you know, put that that stock right back into the pot, let it reduce down to sauce consistency or where you're happy with it. And then you can garnish, you know, and again, here we go. You can add, you know, pumpkin, you could add, you know, whatever you wanted That's to. That's what you want for your mashed sweet potatoes. Or mashed sweet potatoes or, you know, squashes. I think blue Hubbard squash, that was another thing I was thinking about. I, I, the, I'll never forget the first time you brought me one of those because I'm just, I had never seen one. I didn't know they came it from It was really England. funny. It, that you, I'm like, what is that? You're like, it's from outer space. Yeah, what is that? It's so pretty. It was such a pretty color, and it was so weird and all bumpy and odd shape. And yeah, so they were originated in New England, and I'm sure from probably South America or Central well, America. I mean, a lot of a that. lot of the pumpkins and it, their relatives that, and they're not really in market yet. You really have to get into October. Mm-hmm. Um, the jack o' lanterns they're not so much for cooking, but uh, things that. The neck pumpkins, the blue and the red hubbards. The red hubbards mm, can be great yeah. for cooking. Yes, um, you want to look for those guys, and they're, they're for for making pies, for making purees, butternut squash. That's easy, but yeah. it's a, but it's a different flavor for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there there are these giant banana pumpkins. 
Mm-hmm. Or banana squash that they can be huge. I mean, I bought one before that was 120 pounds. Mm. Um, they have unbelievable flavor. And that Mario from Mexico, his favorite by far, you know, the, the man of a thousand squashes. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that is his favorite. Sure. <laughs> we made ice cream with that before. Most likely part of his heritage. Yeah, no yeah. question. Yeah. And then the other thing I was thinking about is ground meat is such a great, another great way to feed a lot of people inexpensively. Um, it's accessible. And um, with some of the mushrooms that may be coming in, you could either do a, a dish with uh, sort of like kebab, um, Middle Eastern cooking, where you would mix the ground meat with one egg per pound of meat and a little bit of saffron and some, you know, whatever spices you like, a little bit of sumac is nice in there or or saffron, um, salt and pepper. Uh, you can add a little bit of breadcrumb or you can go in a totally different direction and maybe make it more Italian um, or more Southern American and um, and and make, you know, make these sort of long loaves a little bit like meatloaf. And um, and then you put them on the spear yeah. with whatever else you want to put on there. Right, and grill it. Oh, so good. You just have to be aware about cooking time on those kinds of things. Yeah, don't overcook it. Well, and if you put other things on there with it, mm-hmm. it better not be something that needs two minutes cooking time well, when your meat needs eight needs eight minutes cooking time. Yeah, you, you I wouldn't, I would do the vegetables straight on the grill and let the meat be on the kebab. Yeah, and just yeah. Let, let it be the meat. That way you don't have that problem at all. So what fall wine? Well, it's funny. I, I think wine, but also it's my my interest in spirits change a little bit. Okay. Um, one of the things that they're more and more high quality. That I love cognac, mm-hmm. uh, and it's really contemplative and nice to have after a meal, and and it always smells a bit, especially the the, the great ones, like you just walked in the greatest pastry shop in the mm-hmm. world. You know, mm-hmm. the and it's interesting that you you feel that. I, I'm not sure other people would so I but you're right on with it of course that's cool the that's the most pleasant way you ever told me that people will disagree with me <laughs> <laughs> but some of the excellent rum from Venezuela or Guyana can be that way also um, which only makes sense since they're made from sugar cane well, you know sometimes the molasses from of sugar cane but usually directly from the sugar cane and uh, and Armagnac the, the much lesser known brandy from southwest France is is always a little bit wilder. It's a little bit more savory. A lot of times I prefer actually consuming Armagnac in the same way that I often like single malt scotch whiskey, which is more savory than, say, bourbon or rye. So I think about those guys in the fall, for sure. Okay. And then it's, a, it's your excuse to drink richer red wines. Definitely. So um, <laughs> my, my short list of things that you may not be thinking about but you probably want to be consuming for the autumn. There's a grape, Alianico, and it's spelled Aglianico. Uh, Alianico is a grape from the south of Italy um, that you would guess from the roots of it um, that that it comes from the word for Hellenic. It's a grape that came via the Phoenicians through Greece about 3,300 years ago to the south of Italy. Did not do well in Sicily. Uh, does really well in Campania in particular, in different parts of Campania. And there are a couple of districts that are really famous for it. Tarazi is one, which is sort of the, the heart of a, an area called Irpinia. And then there's another, there's a volcano that looks like it, the name of it spelled Vulture. Voltere. Uh, Alianaco del Voltere 
is what I'm going to tell people to watch out for. The quality of winemaking in that particular small district is in Basilicata. It's just south of Campania. Um, the, the foothills of that mountain, and that, that old volcano, it is capable of growing amazing Alianico. It's not as tannic as what you find in Tarazi. It's more attractive and food flexible, but it's still rich. I mean, it has all the... It's what... It's what Petit Sarah wishes it could be when it grew up, <laughs> when it's made really well. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning that there's there's great fruit and there's great power and there's a big presence, but it's actually really complex and the wine is fresh and uh, and, and attractive with a lot of different food. So that's that's sort of a, that's my, my pitch for... Look for that. Really good. For Alianico in particular. Okay. Any, any producers autumn. that we should think about? Um, oh, this is a long name. Uh, Musto, M-U-S-T-O, Carmelitano, C-A-R-M-E-L-I-T-A-N-O. It's a, a brother and sister, and they they really jumped up with what they do. Okay, good. They have an entry-level wine as well as as, as uh, fancier ones that are super good. Okay. So, But you know what it's time for? Yes. Besides a little Elianico uh-huh. and a lot of cider. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's time for you to face the truth. Oh, all right. Okay. And deal with my handwriting. Oh, you gave me chantreau mushrooms, Tuscan kale, honeycrisp apples, onion shallot garlic, cherry bomb peppers. I love those. Boom. Cherry That's tomatoes, right. spaghetti Boom. squash. When say it. Eggs, durum flour. That. Eggs, durum flour, spice rack, walnuts, whole chicken. Whole chicken. Ah, fun. Okay. Drop the whole chicken on you at the end there. I like Baker's that. Baker's dozen of ingredients. Okay, spaghetti squash cut in half. Well, wash it first. Cut cut it in half. Uh, have fun with that because you need a sharp, heavy-duty knife because they are hard to cut through. Um, onto a sheet pan, uh, about a quarter of an inch of water, 350-degree oven. Roast the spaghetti squash until it comes out like spaghetti um, out of the uh, the shell. It's really, really incredible. So that... Hmm. Onion, shallot, garlic. I'm going to gently saute a small dice of all three of those in butter. Um, obviously, you want me to make flour. You, I mean, uh, pasta. You've given me eggs and durum flour. So, you don't um, have to make it. I'm happy to. So make pasta with the eggs and the durum flour. And hmm, what am I going to add to that? Nothing. So just a straight dough. And I like... Um, I like fettuccine with this. So fettuccine, uh, which I'm going to actually toss in the pan with the spaghetti squash and all that wonderful onion, shallot, and garlic. I'm going to add a little bit of cinnamon to it from the spice rack. I'm going to roast the walnuts um, until they're just, you know, golden brown and really pretty uh, smelling in the oven. Crack those a little bit and add that to that pan with that pasta. Um, Add the cherry tomatoes. I'll toss them in a little bit of olive oil, salt, and pepper. Add those to the pasta at the very end. Um, The cherry bombs, hmm, I've got to have a salad with the Tuscan kale, the Honeycrisp apple, and the cherry bombs. I love that so much. And actually, I could also garnish that pasta with little chanterelles, or I could garnish the salad with the chanterelles. And um, the chicken is roasting in the oven while all of this is going on. I've got butter under the skin, salt and pepper. Uh, You've not given me, well, I have a little bit of onion, shallot, and garlic also in the cavity of the chicken while it roasts. And actually, I may take a little bit of that Tuscan kale and saute it in the fat from that chicken pan and add chanterelles to it. I'm going to go in a different that direction good. there. That sounds yeah, good. Yeah, that, that would be fun. And then with the guanciale. Um, Ch- chicken fat is underrated for flavor, for sure. Mm, that's it. All right, your turn, Tony. 
You know, you know what you essentially did when you made that uh, the fettuccine. Mm-hmm. You did a relatively traditional preparation with the spaghetti squash, the cinnamon, and the uh, oh, really? <laughs> I didn't know and that. The walnuts <laughs> from the Valtellina in the in oh, the cool. north of Italy. Okay. Except the shape that they would use is maltagliata, mm-hmm. which is basically it means badly cut. Hmm. It's the pasta leftovers. It's like when you cut oh, all fun. the stuff out. Yeah. It's all the weird little bits. Shapes and, and yeah. Yeah. Okay. So all of that. Cool. I like that. So the spaghetti squash acts like the pasta. Exactly. That's cool. And then cool. the pasta is actually like a garnish. Spaghetti squash that. is the best. Love it. Yeah. That's just, it's funny. You mm-hmm. Unknowingly yeah. did a traditional that, dish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at you. <laughs> Butternut squash and pumpkin. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I put one inside the other? <laughs> Garlic, shallot, onion, and spices. Cream butter. Pork loin chops. Bone in. Thank you for that. Uh, flour, sugar, Brussels sprouts, beets, chicken and veal stock, carrots, olive oil, vinegar, citrus. I mean, the thing I want to do is I want to take the the pork chops and I want to pound them and I want to make a milanese mm. with the pork chops. I've been mm-hmm. wanting to do that for a while, um, and I'm going to put some uh, a little a little mustard seed, a little cumin, uh, like we were just talking about. And uh, if there are, is there garlic here somewhere? No. Mm-hmm. I gave you. Didn't oh, you, you did. You did. You did. Garlic? You did. I'm gonna uh, actually oven dry and grind and 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 dry a little bit of that garlic, and put that in the spice rub on the pork chops, and then bread them nicely, and then fry them in the pan. I don't know. You got me on the squash and the pumpkin. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be efficient and apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the squash. I'm gonna. Roast those guys off, uh, remove the meat, and and make a puree. Um, sweat the shallot, some of the shallot and the onion, uh, to be part of that puree. Put it all in the blender with a little bit of cream, and a little bit of the chicken and veal stock, and that's going to be a soup. Uh, soup with a little bit of old balsamico vinegar on that guy, and a little bit of grated orange peel. Okay, the pumpkin. You know, ay ay ay. I don't know what to do with your pumpkin. You already it, it's, it, just it's carve the same it, menu. Just carve it and put a candle in it. Okay, and look I'll at it. carve it and I'll put a candle <laughs> in it. <laughs> Did you do anything with the Brussels sprouts? No, no, no I didn't what think I, what, so. What you, I, can't, you can't carve those and put a pumpkin. No, what, pumpkin what, what, in what I want to do with the Brussels sprouts is uh, poach them in some cider that I don't have. <laughs> that's, uh, not with, a, that's not fair. With some onion. <laughs> you can't do that. I'm going to borrow some. Oh, for you got sake. some. From me, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to poach the Brussels mm-hmm. sprouts in the cider. <laughs> After removing the outside leaves, the outside leaves, I want to fry them. Uh, I want to make a uh, carpaccio with the beets after roasting them in the oven. Uh, rub with a little bit of sugar and olive oil, uh, salt in their jackets. Cool them, slice them super thin, lay them out on the plate. Uh, and then cool the, uh, the the hearts of the Brussels sprouts that have been poached in the cider as a garnish for that, and the crispy fried uh, leaves as a garnish for that. What haven't I used? The carrots? I don't know. The carrots. The, one of the carrots is going to be the nose for the pumpkin that I, <laughs> that I carved. I think that's called a that's, snowman. <laughs> yeah. <I'm, laughs> well, you gave me squash and pumpkins. All right. I think that's a fail, that's, Tony. That's my feeling on is that. That's a fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you didn't you use take all the pumpkin. <laughs> well, I don't use butter on everything. Well, you know? that's not the problem. I think it was the pumpkin, the squash, and the uh, carrots, which don't seem that difficult I mean, to work I with. Maybe I don't to me. like orange vegetables. 
It's not where I was going with that. Well, that's all we have time for. That was fun. Yeah, that's uh, we're obviously both just excited oh, about I love it. food love for the fall. Time of the year. If you missed and want to download this program or any other, please go to the WIPR website, WIPR.org. You can find the Foreman Wolf page and uh, download this or any other episode. If you want to email us, contact us, foremanwolf at WIPR.org. If you want to contact us on social media, you can follow me on Instagram as Chef Wolf or on Facebook as Chef Cindy Wolf. Instagram for me is the real Tony Foreman. Thanks so much for listening. Happy Sunday.